Right, hello and welcome to the Clubhouse Golf Monthly's uh, look at the various different events in the world of golf. My name is Neil Tappin and I am here this week with Nick Bonfield. Nick, hello. Hello, Neil. How are you? Yes, yes, very well. I was just saying it's been a while since we've been in the podcast studio, so glad to be back. I know it has. So apologies to all those of who I'm sure have been waiting with bated breath for our, our latest instalment. Um, I was in the US with Titleist for about 10 days or so. I think the rest of you were just chilling out and doing nothing. Yes, yes, that's exactly <laughs> what we do. Well, they just come in and put our feet up. I thought so. Yeah. I, I suspected as much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you can also hear there um, David Taylor as well. David, hello, how are you? Hello, Neil. Yeah, very good, thank you. Very I don't good. think you and I have actually podcasted together before. This is a, a maiden voyage. Ma- indeed, yeah, indeed. Um, but yeah, I think I'm an occasional podcaster. And are you playing any golf at the minute? <laughs> uh, very varied golf uh, every now and then. Varied very standard yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I've uh, managed managed a bit more golf this summer than, than normal but, good uh, none of it very good <laughs> well likewise yeah. likewise um, okay so just to, to let you know that the, the sort of format for today's podcast what we're going to talk about we're going to um, start off by speaking about Darren Clark's Ryder Cup picks that happened yesterday so we're podcasting on Wednesday the 31st of uh, August I think it is is yeah. that right? How's that happened? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know um, yeah it's a random day for us to do it but um, anyway yesterday Darren Clark picked his uh, final three wild cards for the European team we're going to discuss um, his decisions there then we're going to look at the FedEx Cup the FedEx Cup has already started it already has its first winner in Patrick Reed. we're going to look um, we'll look sort of slightly back at the season in terms of who's sort of jockeying for position going into the final few playoff events um, then we're going to Nick's got his usual or his now usual second ever um, slot in the podcast for correspondence um, and then we're going to have a quiz on the FedEx Cup um, a wealth of knowledge in this room on yeah. said trophy, no yeah, doubt. Yeah. Hmm. We'll find out about that. Not yet. No, we will do obviously okay. at some point, but not today, yeah. I'm afraid. Oh, well, no. <laughs> you try, Dave. <laughs> and also, I'll just say that I was struggling for time this morning. Not going to lie. And so, if there are any inaccuracies in the uh, FedEx Cup questions. Um, please direct all correspondence to Nick. He's <laughs> <laughs> swanning off to the States. Exactly. And he can't even be bothered to put the time in to do a good quiz. We'll find out if it's good or not. We'll find out. Yeah. We'll find the out. way you've teed it up, <laughs> I suspect it's not going to be great. Doesn't sound good. No, me. there might well be a few mm, uh, vagaries, should we say. Anyway, uh, let's talk about yesterday's um, Ryder Cup picks. Darren Clark, he picked in this order, Lee Westwood, best mate, brackets, best mate. Uh, then Martin Keimer then Thomas Peters Uh, gents uh, Nick I'll start with you because you have a pretty major crush on Thomas Peters Uh, do you think uh, do you think Darren Clark made the right choice I do yes I think it was as everyone was expecting uh, Westwood and Keimer and then I think as he admitted it was a toss up between Russell Knox and Thomas Peters for the last one I don't quite think um McDowell and Donald had done enough I know Donald finished second McDowell finished in the top five but before that haven't really been setting the world alight uh, I think the course characteristics possibly came into it as well I mean they're not the longest hitters in the world the way Davis Love's going to set the course up and that brings me nicely on to Thomas Peters who I think is going to be a great asset to the team because he's extremely self-confident hits the ball a mile and very aggressive so you, it's the kind of guy you want to be partnered with um, uh, in well not necessarily in foursomes but definitely in four ball and obviously Westwood's one of the most experienced Ryder Cuppers of all time Keimer's 
been playing very consistently well. I think he had six top tens in his last ten or so starts. So I mean, those were the obvious picks, weren't they? We needed that experience with six rookies on the side. But I think Peters will be fine. I think he'll take it in a stride. I don't think he'll be overawed, and I think he'll be much like Nicholas Colsarts was in 2012, uh, a pretty good asset to the European side. Um, David, I was going to ask you, do you think, is there any, I mean, Nick's just said it was a foregone conclusion that Westwood and Kaima were going to get a pick. Is there any scope now for a captain to add a bit of nuance, to add a bit of uh, character or personality to his choices? Is that, it does a captain these days have the opportunity to go a little bit outside the box and pick a player who's a little bit further down the rankings? Or is it just a very simple case of, right, who's the next bus off the, off the taxi off the rank? <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I think this year, especially with the number of rookies in the uh, in the European team, it needed some experience in there. And you know, you, Westwood in decent form this year. You can't argue with that. And his record is is out there for everyone to see. Um, Kaim are the same. Those two were, I, I think, obvious. I, I can't see anyone not picking them. Um, if there had been, you know, a, a lot. Unfortunately, I think a lot of our rookies. It's not the fact they're rookies; they're just not in great form at the moment. Right? Yeah. Which is uh, which the is worry for me. Um, See, so so looking at the likes of Andy Sullivan and Sullivan, Danny Willett, maybe Willett's not in great form since since the Masters. You know, I don't know whether having a baby has affected him that way. Or Winning the Masters, the extra, <laughs> the, extra yeah, the, the extra pressure. Um, and then you look at you know, Chris Wood's been injured. Stenson's you know having injury problems. You know, it doesn't look mm. the most stable side at the moment. So to bring in Westwood, bring in Kymer to big names you can rely on in decent form the third pick yeah I, I agree with Nick Peter's you know it's definite form over the last couple of weeks you can look past him and it could be for him it could well be the springboard to I mean there is a, a school of thought that says Thomas Peters is capable of going on to do incredible things within the game of golf and is capable of becoming a world top 10 player um, this might just be a sort of a springboard towards that feat. But Nick, I wanted to ask you about Russell Knox because we had some interesting correspondence about that from, I think it's fair to say, from a few of our Scottish uh, followers um, through the Golf Monthly Forum who were um, not 100% convinced about Darren Clark's decision to pick Peters over Russell Knox. Do you think Russell Knox, where do you think it, why do you think he wasn't picked? Let me put it that way. Do you think it was all down to Peters or do you think it was down to something that you know his commitment to the tour so maintaining his PGA tour sort of bias as it were possibly was a subsidiary factor I, I think it comes down to Peter's assets uh, and his flair possibly more than because Russell Knox is a very obviously a, got into the world top 20 but very very steady if unspectacular player and I think Peters will give you that little bit more in the match play format I don't think his comments helped to be honest saying he had a divine right to, to be picked uh, at the end of the day did was, he actually say it he said yeah. I have a, oh was it a moral a moral, moral obligation <laughs> to pick him I don't think Darren Clark took, took too kindly to that and at the end of the day it was his decision to station himself in America uh, if he wanted it that badly he would have been playing on the European Tour many, many years ago in order to try and qualify for the side. Or at least gone and played in Denmark to so, yeah, so, say, look, I'm really... A token gesture to yeah. show how keen you are to make the side. Uh, uh, he was unfortunate because he's a very good player, uh, obviously a WGC champion, but I think a few factors conspired against him and I'm, yeah. I'm happy that Clark made the right pick. He, he was making all the right noises. I, I don't quite follow that argument because he put himself forward he wanted to be a member of the team okay yeah the last couple of weeks let him down in terms of not not playing in America and then not coming over to, to made in Denmark but you know he was definitely up for it he was 
it wasn't his fault that he wasn't on the tour when he won the WGC and then after that committed straight away so he was a man in form and yeah very unlucky I think yeah Clark Darren Clark is a man who is very loyal to the European tour and has been throughout his career so I think somewhere in his consciousness there was well Russell Knox has chosen the PGA tour over the European tour and I think in some small way that might have factored in some way I'm not saying it was a big reason for it but I think that probably did play a small role as well and you know it's a formula that's worked let's be honest it, that camaraderie that you have through there being an element of these are European tour players yes there's a, a good strong element of world players in there but there's also a really healthy bunch of European tour solid European tour players and let, you know, let's not forget that has been the kind of the, the winning formula for me from my own personal perspective I was disappointed that Shane Lowry didn't make it I thought Shane Lowry was gonna, would have been a fantastic player to have in the team room having met him on a quite a few occasions now he's really good fun he's very much like an Andy Sullivan type character he's a sort of player that will bring players together and will create help create that team room atmosphere that makes a good Ryder Cup team and he's he happens to be for me one of the big European players I mean he very nearly won the US Open okay his, his, it's a shame that his form's gone off the boil since then and that's why I asked David earlier to you about that nuance element could Clark have maybe pushed the boat out and gone for someone like Lowry who he thinks might have that little extra ingredient over for instance let's say Martin Keimer whose form hasn't been fantastic who is I might well be wrong in saying this but I think he's more of a he keeps himself to himself type type guy more of a PGA tour style person more than a player well, I think I think if our team was shaping up it's in the way to the Americans lots of experience you know only one rookie in their side at the moment that would have given him a few more options and those things wouldn't have been questioned so much. Yeah. But, you know, Lowry's form has really dropped off since he was open, really. Um, and while I agree, he would have been a great man to have, have on board. Is that a gamble too far? You've, you've kind of got to go with... Yeah, you're kind of hanging yourself out to dry, aren't you, if it all yeah. goes wrong? That's and exactly you pick Shane Lowry. You're asking for it. <laughs> if, you, if you make an off-piece pick like that and then you end up losing the tournament, then you're just asking for criticism. Asking. And it's just a risk not worth taking when you've got so many good players in form who are uh, viable picks and that experiencing on the sidelines as well it's just something you couldn't quite have done but I agree with David that if we had seven or eight uh, experienced guys in the team then perhaps he would have had a better chance but just the way things shaped up especially with a lot of our rookies not having much experience in America um, yeah I just think that he made the right decision in the end yeah and what one decision that I think everyone could have maybe not but everyone should agree with I think is Lee Westwood uh, obviously mentioned that they're best mates but at the end of the day you can't have enough experience in the Ryder Cup really can you and Westwood you know it's not just experience it's experience of winning he's, you know, he's been a real talisman you couldn't you know, even if they weren't best mates you yeah. couldn't have left him on the no, sidelines could he his 10th Ryder Cup I think yeah, yeah. Uh, it's behind Nick Faldo I think by one Faldo on the European 11. side yeah I think Mickelson will yeah reach 11 this year as well so he'll equal the record but um, but yeah yeah that's uh, right 10, 10 Ryder Cups is yeah you, you, there's no one else nearing that really on the European side I don't think so yeah, no nope, just looking at the list now yeah. Sergio would be the next wouldn't Sergio he next but for pairings as well for Westwood I mean he played with I think he played with Chris Wood and Matt Fitzpatrick at the Eurasia Cup he obviously played well with Sergio before hits the ball straight and long he's perfect for force and so I think he's very uh, mouldable to different partnerships and I think that was probably another thing that came into it too indeed indeed well we shall find out
whether these picks have been the right ones, who knows at the end of the day. At the captain's job, I don't know. Sometimes I think it's understated. Sometimes I think it's horrendously overstated. <laughs> you never really know. Do you? All I know is that Tom Watson's captaincy at Glen Eagles was poor, I think, um, in terms of the pairings that he put out and just the way in which he interacted he with his own himself. team. Mm. And I don't think, I, I should think, Darren Clark will, will have learned from the successful European team captains and will understand what it takes to win. Um, that's not to say won't be criticised if it all goes wrong. Yeah. So it's, it, it's difficult, isn't it? Yeah. On this point, though, I think I was speaking to Chris Wood a couple of months ago and he's really, really passionate about playing for Darren Clark, a man who'd represented the European Tour for a number of decades, and also Thomas Bjorn. Uh, he said he, he saw Bjorn and Clark as sort of two of the four or five guys that he's looked up to for his whole career and he said that he would have the player support 110% so I think everyone's really committed and firmly behind Clark and of course he's learnt lessons from McGinley you have to so should yep. be a pretty good captain I would imagine well we wish them well we're un- unbiased but we really want Europe to win <laughs> um, okay well let's move on and talk about the FedEx Cup so this year represents the 10th playing of the FedEx Cup time flies um, the annual end of season wheelbarrow event in which the best players in the world turn up and get with the opportunity to win a bonus that if you win is 10 million dollars which is fairly healthy by shocking that that hasn't gone up over the last couple of years <laughs> no, as well. no inflation is yeah. really yeah it's not really um had a benefit um okay so gents give us a progress report on the fedex cup is the fedex cup the end of season showcase that it should be uh, is it getting there what what do you think I, it's getting there I think some tweaks need to be made still but I think it's right now that um, if you're in the top five going into that, um, that if you win you win overall I think that rewards people who have been playing well over the course of the season however I still think the points are a little bit too heavily weighted in the playoff events how you can not really do anything for the se- most of the season scrape into the top 125 win and then you know, catapult yourself into the top 15 or top 10 just doesn't seem quite right to me I mean I see golf as a game where you should be rewarding consistency because that's the hardest thing to master also important to remember here that Americans uh, culturally love uh, they love playoffs at the end of their season and it does bring more excitement I mean I think that's pretty indisputable so I don't know about that it does. Uh, if I <laughs> Well, uh, <laughs> more prestige attached to it. There's more media attention. Uh, gets the fans more excited. But the the problem with the FedEx Cup is that it still has this feeling of a bonus event to it. So when it it gets down to the towards the nitty gritty in any of the playoffs, but particularly the the one at the end, the Tour Championship, I don't ever get the sense that they're nervous that there's anything really on the line. That it's a career defining moment because unlike you know you win or you lose a claret jug that defines your career you win or you lose um, a FedEx Cup that defines how healthy your bank balance is I'm not sure it really defines what people are going to write on your headstone come you it know doesn't. it's the Olympic argument again nothing is important in golf as the four majors so nothing's ever going to have that sense of urgency and importance it's not the big four it's just the way it is in golf yeah I mean I think the whole format and everything being brought in was to add that element of glamour and excitement to the end of the season which was possibly lacking and they've tweaked it and tweaked it over the years and I think they've probably got the right format now to create that excitement but you don't want it you don't want it to be another major you've got the four majors they're you know what golf's all about is to give something a little bit different yes the playoff system in every sport is argued is it right should someone finish seventh and get promoted in football similar in other sports 
but I think it, it works for me. You know, it keeps everyone interested. It makes these last four tournaments feel bigger than they perhaps would be if they were just normal run-of-the-mill uh, PGA tournaments. And, do you uh, think so? Do you, I kind of see. I kind of see where you're coming mm. from, but at the same time, I just think any time that Rory, Spieth, Day, Johnson, Watson, Fowler are in the are in the field, you. A, a, a dedicated golf fan or a golf fan is going to be watching regardless of whether there's $10 million on the line, especially when the players don't seem to be affected by the fact that there's $10 million on the line. I, I, I see what you're saying. Really, but <laughs> I feel like I'm arguing against two people here. The, the, the only way to really... I think we've got a bit of an issue in golf with the way that the majors are spaced out, to be honest with you, because sometimes yeah. it feels that as soon as the PGA is over... The, the, the players who haven't won a major, their heads drop slightly because they don't really care if they win a tour championship. And they don't really care if they win $10 million. So so what do we do? We could arguably tweak the format of the and majors let's, let's move the PGA to September It, it is in the schedule where it is because um, it's, the golf season in America is due to finish by the time the American football season starts. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, because no one cares about golf in America when the NFL is on <laughs> because it's the be-all and end-all out there. <laughs> Um, so uh, yeah so it's got this kind of unmovable position in the diary which again created issues for the Olympics and the players playing in the Olympics um, so yeah it's one of the challenges that it, you know, it poses but I don't know what this, what's, there's no solution to that really as far as I can see it's just the way it is we have a massive gap from August to April for the majors and, and the guys are quite deflated often after the PJ because they know they can't all they really care about the top guys is winning these big four events so the Tour Championship is never going to live up to that. A WGC is never going to live up to that. The Olympics is never going to live up to that. But how do we solve it? I'm not sure. All I do know is that it's more sensible now that they've started. They've got that crossover season now. Cause we had the thing before whereby the FedEx Cup playoffs would end and then there would still be four full series events, which was just the people trying to keep their yeah, card. Yeah, a bit odd. So I'm glad that's sort of aligned itself slightly better now. Yeah. Uh, and okay, so who who do you think is going to have a good run at this? Do you think it's, it's Jason Days or do you think there could be an... Okay, let me ask this question. If you were going to pick an outsider to come from the pack, and I'll, I'll include Patrick Reed in that, even though he's just one who's probably now leading the FedEx Cup. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Who, who I'll do you take think... him as my outsider. Yeah. Who's now winning, yeah. Um, but you get what I mean. Uh, yeah. who, who, who do you think is the likely... Well, I mean, you saw Day... On Sunday, I mean, he wasn't in great form. He wasn't wasn't hitting well um, off the tee, but still managed to play amazingly around the greens and finish where he did. So you can't overlook him. You never can. If he goes away, goes away, sorts his driving out over the next week or so, then he's going to be in the mix without a doubt. Um, outsiders wise, I mean, the way the f- format works, Patrick's got off to a, an amazing start. He seems to be again back to the Ryder Cup start. He seems to be getting to form at the right time just sneaked into the Ryder Cup in, in the American side um, beyond that I've I mean you look down the list it could be could be one of anyone it's just could be anyone really couldn't it yeah. getting into form at the right time getting into the Tour Championship and um, then yeah who knows but I'm sure that Nick has got a few ideas <laughs> just a quick point on Reed that probably the, someone that you uh, have a crush on yeah it works in such a way that if you get that win early in the playoffs and then just post top 10s you're in brilliant shape and that's what Reed does I think he's got more top 10s on the PGA Tour this season than anyone else he's very very consistent so he's got the first win early so I don't see him necessarily winning 
the remaining three, but I don't see him finishing outside the top 25 either. So I think he'll be there right till the end. Uh, in terms of outside, I like someone like a like a Daniel Berger coming from <laughs> about 30th. This is a guy who, who did right. really well in the playoffs uh, last season. Did he? Um, see, that's just, I didn't even know that. Yeah, as an aggressive guy. And also we've got to remember- I wouldn't be able to pick him out if he walked past me yes, in the street. Yes, you would, surely. <laughs> no, Daniel I wouldn't. Berger. I wouldn't. PGA Tour winner. No. No? But also, the, because the American Ryder Cup picks aren't announced until, I think it's after the Deutsche Bank or even after the BMW. Three are after the Deutsche Bank and then one after the Championship. So this is providing extra motivation for the likes of Matt Kutcher, Jim Furyk. I mean, if you look who's outside the automatic qualification places at the moment, you've got Bubba Watson, Ricky Fowler, Matt Kutcher, Jim Furyk, JB Holmes. So all these guys are, are going to want to do well in the FedEx Cup, yes, but probably more importantly, they're going to be looking and to, let me to ask make you a question. Does, does, so if let's say Daniel Berger won Deutsche Bank, would that automatically get him into a top place within the Ryder Cup standing or are the Ryder Cup standings now finished? I think, is it? Yeah, no, they're, they're, yeah, they're, finished, they're yeah. done. They're finished. Right, so they stopped once the, the, the Barclays yeah. started, they'd stopped. Right, okay. Uh, yes, so Reed got in and Fowler dropped out. I think uh, Zach Johnson got the final spot. So does that, so does that offer love the scope that Clark doesn't have to pick somebody who's right out of left field absolutely but who happens to be in great form well this is why they brought it in because uh, I think two years ago before Glen Eagles Billy Horschel had won yeah he won the put, Tour Championship put in a phenomenal performance in the FedEx Cup I, mean, I think he had a couple of top threes and a win but he was too late like, that form was too late so in the end he ended up picking up <laughs> Webb Hunter Simpson Mahan. after after Webb Simpson made a grovelling phone call with Tom Watson and ended up getting picked and then hitting the ball about 120 yards off the first tee and <laughs> not putting in a very good performance so I think that's why they changed the format around I think it makes a great deal of sense and possibly uh, you could argue that we should look at adopting something similar um but hey, there might be logistical reasons why that's not preferable. For instance, there's a whole load of things that have to go on behind the scenes to create a Ryder Cup, and making your decisions at such a last minute, such a last minute way. Yeah, but if they can do it, why can't we? Well, no, true, true. Mm. Ironically, I think the American team pretty much picks itself. So, I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's the that is the irony of this yeah, time round, isn't it? Uh, if someone comes out the pack, and wins you'd have to be back. completely off your rocker not to pick Fowler yeah. or Watson. Probably going to put. Furikin, do you think? Can you? Uh, doesn't he have the worst Ryder Cup record in history of all or, time? Of all time, <laughs> he's lost more. <laughs> he's he's he actually won quite a few as well. He's played. This is he's played. I don't know. I yeah. think I'd be looking at having JB Holmes in there, a guy who narrowly missed out. And traditionally, I think the Americans pick the guys who just missed out more than we do. Uh, he's a bomber. He's aggressive. He makes a lot of birdies. I'd take him. I'd take Fowler. I'd take Watson. I'd take Kutcher. But then if someone comes through and wins two of the FedEx Cup playoff events... Which is probably going to happen, them. isn't it? You've got to take them. But it, <laughs> Billy it almost picks itself at this point. Yeah, Billy Haas or Billy Horschel or something like that. Or Daniel Berger. Daniel Berger. Yeah, well, <laughs> look out. <laughs> if, if he makes the Ryder Cup team, Nigel, um, yeah, I don't know. Should do something. Okay. If I'll buy you Dan- a pint. <laughs> Daniel Berger makes the Ryder Cup team... I'll buy you a burger. You have to eat a whole chicken from Costco. <laughs> That's a weird bet. That is a weird bet to take on. Um, how about I buy you a burger? That sounds better for me. <laughs> um, right. Uh, actually, no, I was going to do the quiz, but no, we've got important matters to attend to before the quiz. We have some correspondence, as always. Uh, and this is handing out, I'm handing over to Nick. A couple of uh, interesting letters in the issue which hits the shelves uh, on Thursday. 
tomorrow tomorrow that is which is when this podcast will go out so yeah. today today no, no today uh, and it is a Rory McIlroy special isn't it uh, it's a, full of absolutely brilliant exclusive uh, content from Rory McIlroy Neil spent some time with him even did a workout with him and it's probably his most revealing interview ever so that comes out today so make sure you go and grab a copy of that but within that we have two particularly interesting letters this month um, first one is entitled New World Order and it's written by David Ward from Halifax. Now, bear with me. I will try and distill this down. Are you going to read the whole I'm thing I'm not out. going to, but... Just give us the general gist. The general gist is that... Um, and, and by the way, there's an important... You know, go, please do go buy, <laughs> buy the magazine. Go buy the magazine. Uh, take a look at all the Rory content. Have a look at um, this letter that Nick's about to read out. So Nick, you don't have to read the whole letter out. <laughs> Just give us a precy of exactly what's going on. Okay, effectively he's arguing that there should be one overarching global golf tour and almost at the PGA and European tours should become feeder tours for that tour. Which is, is an argument that's been mooted before many times and has some merit. Uh, I just don't see it working from a sponsorship perspective necessarily and I think it will cause big clashes between the tours but I think there is something to be said for it. I mean... It's it's fairly regionalised anyway, isn't it? Because you got you know the desert swing in January, and then you got the FedEx Cup playoffs in the state, and you got the there's a few events around the Open, the Scottish Open, the Irish Open, a few events around Wentworth. So it's almost there is that natural split anyway. Um, but I think the main issue is attracting Americans, as it's always been, to come and play in Europe because they don't like doing that, and without them doing that, we're going to struggle to make a, a truly global tour. Yeah, and, and and crossing time zones and all the things that that does to 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 a player the ability for a player to actually compete at the highest possible level if you're going from uh, you know Dubai then back to the US you know it's a big change there and going week in week out that, that's tricky um, do we not already have something of a world tour in that the top I'd say the top 15 players their schedules would all look very similar wouldn't they no because Ooh. the top Americans don't come to Europe that's okay. the only thing holding but it now, back. but so now the European stop. Tour are only asking players to play four events outside the main tour events that's only four events that would be different and how many new Americans sign up to the European Tour this season one who Reed. no no <laughs> in fact I was looking at his schedule the other day uh, he is still some way short of fulfilling that quota he's only played one on he played WGC event in Europe maybe two max so he's got to go some in order to do that so wouldn't it be, well, it wouldn't be good for the tour, but it would be quite funny in many ways if Reed actually dro- was the only American who dropped out after these new regulations have been brought in. Yeah, to so make no, it I was I was I was sort of quite intently monitoring um, entry lists throughout this year in the hope that more Americans would play, given that they only needed to play five, and it fell quite kindly. You know, come and play a couple of events in January, come and play the Irish Open, the Scottish Open, and then you're pretty much there. But it just hasn't panned out like that at all, and I think that just points to the reticence of Americans to travel when they've got such a uh, lucrative home tour and they're all settled in America and they've got their families in America why would they travel mm. and you saw you know when Spieth and Fowler came over early season um, there was a lot of fuss made about that but then I think that experience meant that Jordan Spieth won't be doing that again for some time despite the paycheck he was given yeah. um, and I agree with Neil the travelling it just it sounds a great idea on paper but it's just something that will never happen due to sponsorship due to players other commitments and you know for all it's not perfect at the moment 
why is that that's not a solution that's uh, it's, to... it's difficult for the tours because the tours have to guarantee the presence of the players and the only way to guarantee the pl- presence of the players is to make it as easy as possible for those for those players so if you're suddenly creating a new tour where you suddenly have three events in australia you have three events in south africa you have a host of events in asia um, outside Dubai and Abu Dhabi, which is quite easy for the Euro- especially for the European based players, you're actually making life really quite difficult for the, the world's best players. Not, and you know, they are pampered. They let's are. be honest, P- pampered beyond yeah. you know what you could imagine. But that they will travel. I mean, the European guys will certainly travel, and I'm sure that there's you know, quite a few of the American guys will travel. It's just at the moment they're not they're not in a position whereby they're being asked to do so. And if the the tours, the setup of the tours were to change, to create a world tour that meant they would have to travel, I think you'd get a bit of pushback on that from the players saying, look, I can't now play the 12 events I'm playing a year on the, or the, you know, the, the 18 events I'm playing on the PGA tour this year, that's going to have to go down to 12 now. So I'll actually play less. So what do we want? Do we want the world's players, best players, playing more and watching them more on TV or do we want them playing more in different parts of the world and therefore playing less on TV because I think that's ultimately the the, the, the balance that you have to strike and the logistics just mind-boggling as well with co-sanctioning and sponsorship and the sponsorship's the thing as well isn't yeah. it it's like you know so you've got to find either you fi- either you, seg- you segue some of the existing sponsors onto the global tour which means you've got to find more sponsors for the PGA European tour which Either whatever way you look at it, you're going to have to find X number of new sponsors, and that's proving quite difficult in golf at the moment. At the moment, so, yeah, just golf don't is think one it's of those feasible. sports that sticks out as, a, as a, it's not growing particularly, is it? So, as an idealistic vision, it's great. I think it'd be terrifically exciting. But as it stands at the moment, it's great, especially for European viewers in America, because we get to watch um, the PGA Tour concluding at nine, ten, eleven o'clock at night, which is perfect for us. If they start going off to Asia and Australasia all the time. You know the TV audience is going to dip, especially in this part of the world, because it's just not feasible for us to get up. I mean, when the European tour goes to Asia at the moment, how many people actually watch that? Because it starts at three o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. So yeah, no, that, that's exactly. also a factor. There are many, many factors stopping this from happening. But the idea is a good one. I just think it's too logistically challenging to to ever happen, really. Yeah. Plus, that, I mean, yeah. Tim Fincham and Keith Pelly, guys who are trying to promote their tour, aren't going to be happy about another tour sweeping over the top of them, are they? And they both have a stake in the Ryder Cup, so that, that and that's the big jewel in the crown as far as golf is concerned. So, uh, Nick, bring us on to letter number two, correspondence number two. Correspondence number two from Cliff Hancock, who sees a way to stop slow play or at least reduce the impact of slow play is to make sure that we have no more three parts anymore. So the theory is, in short, everyone's on the... <laughs> what? <laughs> Okay, so everyone uh, plays uh, as I'm, normal. By the way, I'm all ears. Okay, everyone plays, and I quote, everyone plays as normal, but when your ball is on the green, you have one attempt. If it goes in, then great. If it doesn't, then the next one is deemed to have done so. Simple as that. This will do away with making and cle- uh, with marking and cleaning the ball a second time, straddling a fellow golfer's line, or moving the marker and then moving it back. Wow. Cliff. <laughs> Cliff has come out there. Cliff, with a, it's, uh, a it's, it's an interesting radical. one from Cliff. Oh, I'm interested I mean, to see I, what you I, say. I presume about the this. whole thing is framed on a pace of play. Golf is too difficult, pace of play um, type thing, which I think any anyone coming up with an idea to try and help speed up the game is you know is worthy of consideration, isn't it? And golf is, let's face it, very very difficult. It would seem to me that that idea is penalising somebody who's very good on the greens, <laughs> like someone like me would 
it'd be able to invoke this rule pretty much on a whole by whole basis. Yeah, and I'd be up for just hitting the green and then walking off. <laughs> Forget about putting all together. Would, uh, just hitting your tee shot. Yeah. In fact, that probably wouldn't work for me either. But, Sit in the clubhouse. Uh, yeah. yeah, I've been around a level par um, today. Yeah, I wonder if that's, I mean, in, an innovative idea, should we call it, but uh, I'm not sure that's the answer. I, I did think, and I don't know whether I mentioned this to you two before, that an idea for speeding play up was to have some some rule in play whereby you're not allowed to mark your ball from inside three feet, something like that, or inside a putter's length. I don't know how you'd figure that part of it out, but that you're not allowed to mark your ball when it's close to the hole if you've putted up to that distance. I think that's very sensible. Uh, however, I think this suggestion is not... Uh, <laughs> sorry, Cliff. I mean, it just renders redundant a really important part of the game and someone who has an advantage on the greens that just gets immediately taken away uh, how is that fair at all it just levels the playing field it makes people who are bad putters it makes putting irrelevant frankly uh, and I just I think it's uh, it's got a lot of flaws I applaud the idea Cliff, and I think Nick, we need more ideas coming in like this but Cliff, Nick is, is clearly not viable is poo-pooing your idea so if you want to come back to, to with some more uh you know something to flesh that out a bit and convince him please do the thought that someone can hit the front edge of the green face a 70 foot part and hit it halfway and then pick up a ball from 35 feet and walk off with the same score on the green as a man who's hit it to 10 foot and lipped out it doesn't quite sit right with me <laughs> when you put it like that it doesn't sound good uh, what i would say is this is very much a condensed version of the letter so i think if you were to talk to cliff hancock about this um there would be more depth to it um but as it currently appears, I think it's just not something we can introduce. Okay, well, good job. Um, you're not in charge of these things, Nick. So I'm thinking you'd have some crazy ideas of your own. Oh, we should be welcoming these ideas, though. This is the point. I think this is crucial, and this is the bottom line. Is uh, Everyone always says that no idea is a bad idea, and I think it's important for all sorts of ideas to come in so we can debate and discuss them and then put the best ones forward and put some pressure on the game's governing bodies to try and change things a little bit because everyone would agree that there is change needed. There is. There is indeed. Um, okay, any more? Any more for any more? No, I no? think those are probably the two um, most thought-provoking ones from this issue, but we'll, uh, we'll continue uh, on with this feature and there'll be more uh, topics discussed in, in future podcasts. So, yeah. And also, send if you've got anything you'd like us to discuss, if you feel passionately about any club issue, then by all means send us a tweet or send us a Facebook uh, or, or Instagram or, or like that. review or, the podcast in uh, iTunes. Obviously, you know, five-star review, much appreciated. <laughs> uh, but leave a comment in there uh, yeah, with any topics that you think are worthy of discussion and we will pick them up and um, uh, yeah we're struggling for content anyway <laughs> no we're not we're not there's lots to talk about uh, anyway uh, let's do our FedEx Cup quiz gentlemen um, okay for this part reveal I've actually been to the TPC Boston a couple oh. of times so if there's any insider team, knowledge there's any Deutsche Bank championship related questions hopefully I should be able to do fairly insider well knowledge sadly not Nigel ah. <laughs> Uh, okay, right, so these two are sharing a microphone, so the microphone's going to go down on the desk between them, so if they sound a bit like they're coming from another room, you'll understand why. Um, okay, uh, so you've got seven questions, and there is a bonus question, should there be, in the unlikely event of a tie-break, should one of you get more than two? One, one tie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there is a bonus question, but, um, okay, FedEx Cup quiz, question number one. Uh, name the four tournaments that make up the um the FedEx Cup playoffs um there are as i say four playoff events uh, the field gets whittled down each time to fewer and f fewer players until you have just a very small number in 30 in the last event but what are those four tournaments called uh, that's a real i'd like to give you an easy opener yeah that's uh 
Confident, at least. Confidence building. Uh, question number two. How, how... Okay, this is where it gets a bit hard. <laughs> how many points do you get for a playoff win? So the FedEx Cup has a system of points. So it's it's point, points that win prizes, not money that win prizes. Although there's a lot of money. Um, it's actually a point system. But how many points do you get for winning a PGA Tour FedEx Cup playoff event? Um, if you say... You know, you could come up with quite a stupid answer here, so I look forward to seeing what you have to say. Um, Nick, you look like you look very pensive. Well, I know the formula. I just don't know what the first number is. If that makes any sort of sense, not really. Well, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, question number three: Where is the final event? So the final event takes place at which golf course? Uh, I can give you. a if you clue required I can tell you what roughly what area of the US it's in I know that but I don't know the course ah I've actually also been there oh look yeah. at you I went there two two years ago at the end of a US Adam road Wicker. trip <laughs> deep south road trip there you go wink wink I there's said a... I've got the where it is ah oh, no. yeah Sorry. home of Bobby Jones Atlanta Atlanta, Atlanta. terrible place <laughs> don't what? go there Atlanta <laughs> yeah bad place you've been to Atlanta I've been near, to Atlanta yeah, yeah. I went to Atlanta on my way to Augusta yeah I imagine Augusta was a little bit nicer than Atlanta. I did. I drove through Atlanta in the middle of the night, um, which was a bit, I must say, a bit of a scary experience. <laughs> yeah. uh, on my way to my hotel, not uh, advisable. All I've really got to say. Question number four. Um, so once the final uh, putt has been hold of the entire FedEx Cup and everyone has their position on the rankings, how much does the runner-up win in dollars? So second on the FedEx Cup. So. If first place has to back up a giant um, van to empty all this cash into, what size vehicle does position number two need to back up? Um, So yes, how many dollars does the runner-up receive? Um, We all know that the winner gets $10 million. Uh, It used to be paid predominantly into their pension pot. Which is one of the most absurd things. If if you... If you're bored and want to read something fascinating, go and read about the PGA Tour pension pot. Because <laughs> basically, if you're, a, if you're a, no, no one's ever said that before, Nick. Yeah. If you're a journeyman yeah, pro, why you're single, Nigel? <laughs> Shut up. If you're a journeyman pro for about ten years, finishing roughly 80th position on the FedEx Cup each year, you walk away with an absolute shed load of cash. Yeah. It's staggering. Yeah, because and and they changed the rules because Tiger was very close to earning, I think that he was looking like he might potentially earn $1 billion in pension um, earnings or make $1 million, billion in pension earnings. So they changed the rules slightly. So you now receive $9 billion in cash and $1 million in deferred tax pension, something like that. I can't remember exactly what the rules are. Um, but yeah, that's how it now how it now works. Um, just to clarify, we're adding second place for FedEx Cup with the prize winnings for that tournament for finishing second. Just just what's what prize do you get? What's the prize fund for just FedEx? Cup, however, it's paid into your account. Okay. Just FedEx Cup, not plus tour. No, just FedEx Cup for second place in the FedEx Cup. Um, question number five: uh, How much do you get for finishing one hundred fiftieth? So not even making it into the playoffs, but you and you finish 150th. You still get money. You still get money for as a FedEx Cup bonus. What is it? I'm going to take. I'm going to give one point to the nearest to, to the nearest 
to whoever gets nearest to the correct amount. Um, question number six: How many years exemption do you get for winning the FedEx Cup? Um, most majors are five or ten years. Depends. Depends on the event. Regulatory event is two years, isn't it? It's, it's the rest of that year, two then plus two. Well, yeah, in America, they they're <laughs> much kinder in America. So you get the end of the year and then another two years. Whereas yeah. in Europe, you just get the end of the year that you've won in and then one more year. So right. it's basically no difference whether you win or just keep your card effectively. Yeah. I think they possibly need to look at that. But then some events, they do get more exemptions than European. Yeah, people, so. like French Open was one this yeah. year, wasn't it? Um, okay, there have been nine winners of the FedEx Cup. We're on to our 10th playing. But who had the lowest ranking going into the playoffs and then went on to win? So who was the who's been the biggest outsider, as it were, heading into the first playoff event? Who's come from the the lowest ranking to go on and finish highest? And I'll give an extra an extra point if you can tell me where he was ranked. This particular player going into the going into the FedEx Cup playoffs. Uh, th that's question number seven, and that concludes the quiz. So um, again, I've been working on my wording. So even though I was a bit pushed for time. Uh, I think wording was pretty solid. Yeah, 10 out of 10. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, so uh, uh, let's swap, swap papers, swap yes. exam papers. Still going, still going. <laughs> After the time has gone. <laughs> um, name the four tournaments of the FedEx Cup. Did you both get the correct answers? Yes, yes. it looks like you did. Go on, uh, read them out. Yeah, Barclays, Deutsche Bank, BMW and tour championship correct correct so it starts in boston no it starts in where's the barclays it starts in new york, new york. it was a beth, beth page, page wasn't it beth page black and then so, it's yeah. boston the bmw champs i don't know it was conway it farms no it wasn't that's a lie i don't know truthfully you shouldn't be expected to know <laughs> stuff like this i mean it's not like we're on a golf podcast or anything. <laughs> yeah yeah um cricket stick possibly oh cricket stick is it yeah site of john Indiana. Davies. yeah in indiana 1991 USPGA Championship. Dave, you've, come, put out there. you've gone big on that. Um, <laughs> um, how many points for a playoff win? It's four times the amount you get regularly, isn't it? So I've gone with 2,000. Dave? I went big. I went 6,000. Well, I think whilst you may not have got the answer right, you certainly win... Um, it's a moral victory for you because Nigel actually got the answer correct so it's 2000 but that just proves what a sort of geeky loser he is yeah, yeah. more than anything um, I'll take that <laughs> I'll also take that <laughs> <laughs> you're still smiling inside um, okay where is the final event of the um, Felix Cup playoff we all knew that it was East in Atlanta Lake Golf Club oh Lake. very good indeed East Lake. Um question number four how much does the runner-up of the FedEx Cup win as a bonus um, amount of money on top of his earnings? What did you say? David said 4.8 million. I said 6 million. Ah, uh -huh. I suspect it's somewhere in between. David gets the point. Ooh. It's 3 million. Ooh. Okay. So he gets the point for being closer. Yeah, so like I said, so so this question and the next question, the point, the a point is awarded for it to whoever is yeah, closer. I oh, I wasn't listening so. at this point. Okay. Well, oh should. no, that's a tick, not a cross. <laughs> Flustered. <laughs> um, how much do you get for, for finishing 150th? 
That's going to be the same of uh, $150,000. Oh, it's 32K. So just put that down as wrong. Wrong. <laughs> Three all heading into the final two. Okay. Riveting How stuff. many years exemption do you get on the PGA Tour? I've gone with a punchy eight. David's gone five. Dave's right. Oh, oh Dave. No. Oh, no. You thought you were going to take a famous scalp here because Dave has quite a reputation when it comes to the quiz. Although I'm confident on my last answer, actually. My no. reputation is one win out of one. So, uh, but still, that's... <laughs> that's, no, look, 100%. Yeah. Um, so the final question is, uh, who had the lowest ranking going into the playoffs and then went on to win it? The answer was... Billy Horschel. Correct. Yeah, I and for a, for an extra bonus point, and it, you have to be on the nose to get this right. Um, what position was he heading into it? One ten. Nope. No. Dave, does my answer for Snedeker count? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> with eighty. He was no, he was sixty ninth, um, which is interesting because Horschel played twenty three events on the PGA Tour that year, which is more than any other winner has played. Mm. And he was 69th heading into the FedEx Cup playoffs, and he won. Some might say you've had a good, you know, four week spell that's ended Peaks up at the right time. Yeah. ended up banking you 10 million. Yeah, I actually interviewed Billy about that at the Open this year, and he was really, really struggling for form that whole year. And then something clicked. He said as soon as it clicked, he teed it up at East Lake, and he said he knew he was going to win. <laughs> he was that confident about his game. Really interesting guy, Billy Horschel. Uh, you can read that feature in a future issue of Golf Monthly. Oh, uh, an unspecified future issue. Unspecified. <laughs> we don't like to be too specific about these facts. Um, sometime towards the end of the year. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've asked, I think it's going in the January issue, possibly the December issue. Okay, well, we will, we will well, keep your eyes peeled for that. Um, and the, okay, so that means that you're tied. Tie. Four out of seven each. Okay. Yep. So the bonus question is, and the nearest to the correct answer will win. We're we writing this down or calling it out? Uh, call it out. Call it out. Um, uh, seeing as Nigel, you were leading going into the, no, Dave, you were leading going into the final question. You get to go first. So how much money, how many dollars has Tiger Woods won in FedEx Cup bonuses? Hmm. It's, it's a reasonable amount, I'll tell you that. Yeah, it's not bad. Oh, now I might have to introduce some sort of jingle or some sort of background yeah, music. Yeah, oh, okay. um, Fifty-eight million dollars. Um, Nigel. Ah, uh, forty-five million dollars. Okay, we have a winner. We have a winner of the FedEx Cup podcast quiz, the big one, the one that everyone wants to win, uh, and it's Nick, Nigel. Yeah, well there was three, yeah, yeah, three million punchy. for seconds so, so, last year. The exact amount is twenty-five two seven five zero zero zero. He's only won it. She's twenty-five. Felix got twice. He's won it twice. Yeah, yeah. twenty-five million two hundred seventy-five thousand. You'd take it, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. He's and he's played in it less than I think than most of the other players who've won it. Pretty much all of them, My I think. It wasn't good. It wasn't <laughs> good. Um, okay, well, that brings us towards the end of the podcast. Um, gents, anything you'd you'd like to to say? Should we talk about oh, what? 
Nick, you're I just, pointing. I wondered if you wanted to say something about the Rory Reveals special issue that comes out today, given that you spent uh, the time with him. Yeah, so um, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, today represents the on-sale date for the October issue of Golf Monthly, which uh, when you see it on the shelves, you'll see that it's um, got Rory on the cover, it's bagged, um, it's a special in that it's especially in two different ways. One, that we had incredible access to Rory McIlroy that's provided us with 18 pages of content I don't think anybody else has really ever had before. So we have an interview with Rory on, on kind of the whole idea of the project was what goes into making a champion. So those things that Rory does that you don't see. So when he's away from tournament play, when he's just working on his game, what does he do? Um, all the gym work that he does, all the work that he puts in um, away from the golf course, um, exactly what does that entail so we've got 18 pages of content with Rory that um, we think is all right (laughs) Uh, and then we also it's also a special issue because it's our Ryder Cup preview issue and we have a um, hazel time stroke saver on the um, inside the bag yeah so if you want to watch the Ryder Cup and see kind of you know the challenge of facing the players there in front of you um our stroke saver is a great way to see the golf course yeah absolutely and there's a, a really great uh, preview piece from our editor at large bill elliott we've got an interview with rookie chris wood um we've got paul mcginley discussing how he reinvented the wheel last year and how successful his captaincy was and looking ahead to this year's contest and also a really in-depth um feature with davis love the american captain davis love which encompasses everything from the Ryder Cup to his philosophy on life, his whole career. There's some really great nuggets in there. So make sure you pick it up. It's a, it's a really good issue. It is. It is. Um, yeah, keep your eyes peeled for it because it, you know, it represents for us quite a lot of hard work, doesn't it? <laughs> so if you wouldn't mind... If you wouldn't mind going and buying it, please. <laughs> That'd be much appreciated. Um, David, anything you'd like to add? Uh, no, it's, well, Paul Laurie column as well actually it was really an uh, insight yeah. into Medina and uh, his part in that and looking forward to you know, his role as vice captain yeah um, so yeah that's an, another little insight into the Ryder Cup and that leads me nicely on to um, do keep um, your eyes peeled so uh, next couple of weeks of podcast next week we will be um, we are uh, posting I think is the right word a podcast that was recorded last week while Michael Harris and I were in um, in California with Titleist, um, we had some incredible access to Scotty Cameron, Bob Vokey, and some new products that they are launching next week. So uh, I think it's Thursday, the 8th of September. Keep your eyes peeled on all the various different Golf Monthly channels because you will see some pretty cool new Titleist products um, and we'll be able to tell you all about them on Thursday. I mean, we can't wait to tell you about it, but you know, have to, sadly have to imbibe by these um, media embargoes, which is fair enough. Um, but we'll be able to tell you all about it next Thursday. So we'll be producing a podcast um, from that we produced last week from California then. Um, and then after that, I think it'll be time to look at um, Ryder Cup, maybe a, a FedEx Cup review podcast, a Ryder Cup podcast. So we've got plenty to talk about in the next few weeks. So do keep your eyes. And also, none of us are on holiday, I don't think, in the next coming few weeks. Are you? Yes, I'm going to Colombia. <laughs> so I'll actually miss the first day of the Ryder Cup. So that was good timing on my part. Oh, oh dear! Yes. What? Oh dear! Oh, fair enough. I think I'm, I'm moving house as the week before the Ryder Cup as well, so um, I'm hoping to get television sorted. Yes, which is first priority. Yeah, yeah discussing crucial. logistics of that yeah. uh, earlier. How to get your sky? How to get your um, sky working by the time you move in, yeah. so you don't miss any of the Ryder Cup. Otherwise, you have to spend the whole of the Ryder Cup in the pub, which yeah, that's um, my it's doable. 
wife and children are obviously second priority that week. So <laughs> think, yeah, they can settle themselves in. I'll just get the sky and all that sorted. Yeah. Uh, we should be all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, thank you very much uh, for listening. And, um, and we will see you next time.